I remember like in high school hearing all these things about politics and like specifically immigration and then realizing that some of my friends would be affected by changes in policies and their parents would, would be affected by those policies. And suddenly it wasn't just like something I saw in the news. Yeah. It was like a face on that policy and thinking like this person will be affected and this person might not be a part of my life anymore if they change this and, and what will happen to their future. And so I think proximity is very key. And that's one thing I, I don't know. I, I wish was different. And like, I look forward to the future at BYU um, of just people being more aware and being more close to just different people and cultures. I think that's very, to me, that's very important. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wilson Seneca podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, really excited for this episode today with one of my good buddies, Ezra Krukenberg. Um, Ezra was one of my first companions out in Puerto Rico during my time as a missionary. Um, one of my really good friends and someone that I've been able to keep in touch with since returning home. Um, had a really fun conversation, talked about missions, you know, comparing our experiences growing up in the East Coast to life here in Provo. We talked about his current job working with multicultural students on campus, along with a lot of uh, really fun topics. Um, I hope you guys enjoy. And if this is content that you like, uh, please make sure to like, comment and subscribe on YouTube. And if you're listening on Spotify or another platform to go ahead and follow. Thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoy this episode. Awesome. <laughs> Welcome. We are live. Welcome, Ezra Krukenberg, to the Wilson Seneca Podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for making the time. Um, so we met, I'm trying to think the timeline. Was it like, I mean, obviously over two years ago, about three years yeah. ago we met Yeah. Um, in Puerto Rico. It was November. Was it November? It was November. Yeah, I guess it's December now, but... Yeah, it was November or something. <laughs> <laughs> November back yeah, in 2020. Crazy. Time flies. Um, and have just kind of stayed in touch since. I mean, we both served the majority of our missions together. I got there right. about three months before you did. Right. Um, and then both just ended up here at BYU. And I don't know, I'm excited for this conversation. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> There's a lot to be said. There is a lot to be said. Um but kind of before, oh, this is something I did want to say. Yeah. I'm reading it right now. This is a very big compliment I have for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, I feel like you, and I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this correctly, but you are the best, like if someone were to ask me to give them a friend of mine that like best represents me. I feel like you are that person. <laughs> that means like, a lot, bro. I feel like the qualities that you have and like the way your outlook on life and like just the overall person that you are is like a great representation of like at least a person that I aspire to be. Um, Got me so cheesing, bro. Got me cheesing. <laughs> no, thank you, bro. Thank you. That um, means a lot. Genuinely. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you shared a lot of cool things from your bio. Um, and kind of where I wanted to start was your childhood growing up in Boston. Sure. Um, so in that, that was really cool. So me and Ezra were companions for two transfers um, in Puerto Rico. <coughs> and me being from Washington, D.C., Ezra being from Boston, uh, we both kind of had similar experiences, I would say, going up, growing up um, as a member of the church, 
going through high school and just kind of the things that we were exposed to, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also thought it was funny, you put in here that you're a Boston sports fan. Um, and the reason <laughs> I think that's funny <laughs> is because yes. most Boston sports fans, I feel like, wouldn't claim you for one minute. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, yes. Like, what is that reason? Is yeah, that? that's a good question. So I'm a, uh, a New York Yankees fan, yeah. which is sacrilegious, right. definitely. To Boston sports. I considered putting that in there, like Boston sports fan, but I like the Yankees. I was like, he already knows. He's gonna, if he's going to grill me, he's going to grill me. Um, but besides that, I'm Boston all the way. Yeah. I'm Boston all the way. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Yankees fan. This year, both the Yankees and the Sox were just, like, so bad. So it was, like, really? luckily not an issue. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that is, that is true. That's funny. Um, my first question to you is, so – for maybe a listener, I feel like a good majority of the people listening are people that, you know, grew up in Utah or are here in BYU, sure. the Provo community now. What kind of was your experience growing up in Boston and how could you compare that to, you know, your experience now here in Provo? Yeah, I mean, I would say just like two different planets, honestly, is kind of how it feels. Um, and I know you know what this is like. I remember like one of the first days I when I moved to Provo for school, I was in Walmart and just like realizing like probably more than half the people in this Walmart are members. <laughs> and that like blew my mind. I was like, these people go to church and take the sacrament and like have been to the temple. Um, and like assuming, kind of assuming that people are members is just so different. I was in one of my classes the other day and talking to a guy and I just asked him like he said he spoke Spanish or something I was like oh you learned on your mission he's like oh, I'm actually not a member and I I caught myself and I was like wow I just assumed this dude was a member because yeah. he looked just like you know like the average BYU student um and so it kind of brought me back to like if I was in Boston I would never assume someone was a member like even if you know like there it would have to be a lot of signs for me to be like hey are you a member um but yeah growing up it was totally different like my ward covered all these high schools like I was the only member in my high school going to early morning seminary there's like five people in my seminary class and it was like all four years of high school combined in one class so it was definitely different in that way um i guess are, are you referring to just like more like the culture or like kind of what's your i think your answer is great um i don't know if there's anything in specific that i was necessarily looking for yeah yeah um i am curious as to like do you feel like you were overall like accepted because of your beliefs growing up or kind of how did that work that dynamic with non-members that's an interesting question um i think so it was like freshman year of high school when like a lot of people started like finding out i was a member and not like it was a secret. Like, I'm happy to tell people. Yeah. But that's kind of when I found out, like, being, like, a Mormon, you know, and, like, what that meant to other people. And really, I mean, you know, like, high school kids are brutal. And, yeah. Like, yeah. Middle school <laughs> kids are brutal. And so it was, like, a lot of, like, oh, how many moms do you have? You know, and, like, mo- yeah. the, the, like, polygamy jokes were, like, the number one. Interesting. And it was just because, like, they always hit. Like, people always <laughs> laughed. And so if you say, if you hear somebody else ask, dude, how many wives he's going to have, and everyone starts laughing like someone else is going to make that joke, right. you know, and so it kind of just keeps going. Um, and it didn't, I mean, I definitely was like, I don't know. I wasn't like, yes, missionary opportunity, you know, like, yeah. I, but I also wasn't like, oh, I hate this. Like, I'm getting bullied. Like, I didn't take it that 
Yeah, you have thick skin. Yeah, like I was just like, all right, haha, whatever. Because everyone's making jokes. You know, that's kind of how like high school is. Yeah. You know, like if you this or that, people they're you know they spare no expense at jokes, and so. Um, but I then kind of getting into like once I was a senior, then I felt like I had like, I had a different confidence just like in myself. I feel like I'd kind of found my kind of like my path in high school where I was going I knew I was going to serve a mission I was very confident about that and so it was interesting to see how that kind of like the the Mormon joke stopped once I was like a junior or senior really and then even once I was a senior and the the mission was like my next step and I kind of earned my stripes a little bit more and people were like okay like he can take it and like he's a real person um that's when I even had more opportunities where people were like well what is your mission or like what do you guys believe um and sadly, I mean, it was hard for me to share the gospel after having heard so many jokes. Yeah. Where someone would be like, you know, maybe like, what What do you guys believe anyways? And I'm like, not, you know, maybe not in the best yeah. mindset to be like, <laughs> oh, well, lesson one says it, you know, so. But it was cool. And, and then when the mission came, definitely was a good time to kind of like show my dedication. Not just like I'll skip sports events, which is stuff I did or like I won't drink or smoke. But like. I'm literally taking two years of my life to go and just serve and do what I think is what God wants me to do. And that was like a, a big, like, you know, maybe you could say like a work of my faith that like people could see. And even teachers were like, wait, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you going to school? You know? And so it was like a cool way for me to be like, I don't know, like, this is what I believe in. Like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Um, and it's interesting to compare kind of your experience to mine. You know, I, I think there was four of us in my graduating class that were members, um, Brady being one of them that you know, and he was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, But people, like, they knew me and Brady as the Mormon boys. Like, we'd go to parties, and people would run up to us and be like, are you guys drinking? Are you guys smoking? (laughs) And we're like, no, of course not. Like, okay, good. Like, don't. (laughs) Like, protecting Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, there definitely were, you know, jokes and, you know, whatever it is that happens in high school. Right, but yeah, I yeah. I feel like I had a pretty unique experience in the sense that people, like, really just respected our decision to, like, live the yeah. way that we live and, like, have the standards that we have. And, um, you know, that paired with just, you know, the responsibility I felt like I had to... Because um, I knew a lot of these kids that I was interacting with I was their sole, you know, interaction yeah. with the church. Like, they may yeah. never hear about the church through any other source again. Like, I don't know. Right. Um, and it wasn't so much so growing up that, like, I loved going to church right, or, like, right, seminary right, yeah. or, like, any of that stuff. Right. But it was just, like, a sense of duty, like, like this gospel's, like, bless me, and, like, I have to, like, represent it well, like, if I'm going to claim that I'm a member of the church. Yeah. Um, what kind of was the reaction of your friends and just people in school in general when they heard you were going to serve a mission? Were they like mainly supportive or what would you say? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, well, one other thought I want to share before you yeah, answer that it. is I think one thing that maybe people that like haven't lived outside of Utah or just like haven't lived where there's not a lot of members might not realize is like there's a different type of unity amongst the church when you're not surrounded that's by a really members. good point yeah and so that's one thing i really like about the church in boston my ysa ward in boston like everyone's there because they want to be there their roommates are not going to church their roommates probably you know might not even be religious chances are and so they they like really want to be there um 
and also just like a different perspective on other like in my what you were saying about like the Mormon boys makes me think about how I connected with like my Muslim friends a lot yeah. in in high school because they were the really the only other group that was devout to their religion and didn't participate in some of those standards and so it's kind of I don't know nowadays especially like with everything that's going on like it's easy to think of different religions as like far away from us living here in Utah but yeah like we're really all the same and there's there's things we can learn I mean so just the diversity that was in my high school like made it I think easier for people to accept my mission there was definitely some people like I had a close friend just be like bro that is the dumbest thing you could do you know <laughs> Like, you're going to be two years behind. Two years behind kind of was like the phrase I heard. Yeah. You're going to be two years behind or you're like going to miss out on your career. Um, and I, I think I was just blessed with like the spirit of like, of, you know, with the spirit of faith of just knowing that was what I needed to do. And so hearing all those things, I, it just like kind of, you know, it like didn't affect me. I was just like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also knew like. And again, this was like this, just like the spirit or like faith or whatever. But I just knew it was going to be a blessing, um, even though I knew it would be hard and I knew I wouldn't be in school. And, you know, like I'm 21 and I'm a sophomore. Right. So I'm like behind. Right. Technically by the average college student. But yeah, but mainly the, res the result was pretty positive. I would say people were like curious and there was definitely some judgment. But I think the Lord blessed me and he knew that I needed to get to the mission. And so he was able and willing to bless me with those like just that confidence and that strength to say yes I'm doing a mission and once I came out and said it I mean part of me too is like I'm a strong-willed guy and so yeah. when I like <laughs> when I come out and like I want to do something like I'm gonna stand by that and, you know and that you know it's my hill I'm gonna die on it and so to me it was like yes I'm serving a mission and when people would be like that's crazy I'd almost be like yeah you know like I, yeah. that almost like fed me a little bit <laughs> I was almost like yeah it is crazy like yeah I believe yeah like I'll do this you know like I'm I am different in that way. And so that was maybe my first experience of like being different and like really being like proud of it internally, even though maybe some people like, you know, were, I don't know, against that. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, walk me through a little bit your decision-making process for serving a mission in the first place. That's a good question. <laughs> it's funny because my parents, like ever since I've been like a baby, like I just want to have control over my life. Like I'm a very like, you know, when I, I, I don't know, I just want to be able to make my own choices for yeah. better and for worse. And it's mainly for worse because I'm, you know, I'm not very <laughs> smart, you know? So like, I don't really know the right thing to do, but they told me after my mission, they were like, we never brought up the mission around you because we didn't want you to just like hear, Hey, you might want to serve a mission. And you just be like, no, I'm not doing it. And then that door shut forever, you know? Cause yeah. like case in point, like the Yankees fan thing, I was like 12. I was like, I'm a Yankees fan. And they were like, no, no, no. And that just made me be like, yes, <laughs> yes, I am. And to this day, you know yeah, what I mean? Like I crazy. love the Yankees. And so I'm just lucky that didn't happen with my mission. So they yeah. didn't bring it up. And then when I was young, I didn't want to serve. I was like very picky with food and I was like scared to leave home. Yeah. Um, the language was so, everything was just scary about it. And then honestly, I think one of the biggest miracles and just blessings in my life was like, as I started high school, I just saw a light in all the people that I knew in the church, whether that meet my parents or my bishop um, or young couples that had moved into my ward. And I just knew that I wanted to have what they had. And I knew that the mission was the way to get that for me. And I felt the spirit and I just felt this desire to serve. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, all I want is to serve a mission. And I didn't even know what it entailed. Like, even when I got there and you, you know, we became companions, <laughs> I was like, so what do we do? Like, I really didn't yeah. have an idea. I just knew like the spirit was like, just get him to the airplane. 
and from there like <laughs> it'll good things will happen but yeah. like you know you just need to get there and so i felt like um i don't know the spirit just really opened my mind to that and made me feel a desire little by little just to serve um and more and more that just built and then eventually i was just like this is really what i want that's I like really cool when would you say you like at what point did you make that decision like what age what grade <clears throat> probably senior year I don't even know I remember distinctly like between junior and senior year I had a choice of whether to take a Spanish class and just feeling like I needed to because I was going to serve Spanish speaking really yeah and I never said that to anybody and like I didn't I don't know and it wasn't like a big deal it wasn't ever like a thought or like a big moment but I just kind of felt that way and then I took this class and it was really challenging but it was good and I learned and I practiced way more than I ever had and then when I got my call to Puerto Rico to serve Spanish speaking, it, it just felt like I had already known that. Yeah. It just felt like, yeah, like this is right. And so, um, definitely at least beginning of my senior year, like I knew that's what I wanted. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There was no one moment. It's yeah. like, you, have you heard like when Elder Bednar talks about like revelation is just like a sunset. Yeah. It was like one of those. It's a gradual thing. Yeah. And there was never one moment where I was like, you know what? This is for me. It just kind of happened. And then I was like, yeah. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's funny. You bring up the experience with the Spanish class. Cause I had like a similar experience. Really? I took Spanish two years in middle school and then freshman and sophomore year of high school. And by the time I finished my sophomore year class, I finished the required credits for the diploma that I wanted out of okay. high school. Um, and I easily and definitely should have, kept taking Spanish throughout junior and senior year. Right. I remember taking, I struggled through this class sophomore year. I yeah. hated it. I hated yeah. Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I make it to the end. I think I have like a B in the class and I just like take the final. Like, I don't even know if I studied for it. Like I was right. just like, I'll take the C plus, B minus, whatever it is. Like, <laughs> I don't yeah. care. I'm done yeah. with Spanish. I remember finishing my bubble sheet and turning into the teacher and thinking, for half a second, like, I'm done with Spanish for the rest of my life. But, like, I knew in that moment, like, <laughs> I was definitely going Spanish-speaking. And, That's like, so I was going to have to keep speaking Spanish. Um, but you brought up something interesting earlier about kind of, like, your parents' influence on your decision to serve a mission. I feel yeah. like that's a pretty common thing within the church is, like, I would say most parents would like all of their children to serve missions. Right. Like yeah. it's very easy to see after serving a mission or like seeing other people out of serve missions, the impact it can have on a young individual. Right. And they're always trying to balance that, you know, do I talk about the mission? Do I not, you know, right. what influence should I have on my child's decision for serving a mission? Um, what would be your kind of take on that? Like, what do you think the mm. best approach is for not even just parents, but even just friends or siblings, you know, what is a healthy balance of talking about your mission and its blessings, but not being overbearing to the point where it could negatively influence someone's decision? That, that is a million dollar question. Honestly, <laughs> that is a very, if I, like if I knew, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's tough. I think about, I guess there's not much on this matter that like I know for a fact, Yeah. but the one thing I do know for a fact is that my mission changed everything for me. And it meant so much to me and it put my life in such a better spot and it helped me feel the spirit and just gave me a different confidence. And there are countless blessings I received. I felt like I really got to know my savior. Um, and so that's the one thing I know for sure. 
that the mission blessed me immensely and I know not everyone's experience is like that and that's sad for me to, to know and to, to understand but knowing how much of a good thing it was for me it's I definitely feel a desire like I would love for my friends and my family and my children to be able to have that experience now I don't know what's yeah. in the cards <laughs> for people like I really don't you know like some people it's just not some people it's not a good experience and some people and for a variety of reasons you know and some people I don't know it's just like there are people that start a mission and it's not for them to go home and there's you know that's okay <coughs> do you have water by the way bro? yeah alright can I just pick up where I left yeah out? go for it yeah that is a good question though I don't know. I think it's important. I remember, do you remember hearing this devotional? Was it Elder Nielsen that was talking about like, I shared my mission experience. Yeah. You remember yeah, that one? I do. And I think that's, I don't know. I think that's great. Like it's good to share your mission experiences. I love talking about my mission. That was such a good time for me. I felt so blessed. And when it comes to my testimony, like a lot of it is about the mission. And so I feel like yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold back from sharing. I think there's also value in like asking you know, like in, in the right circumstances, but like asking people, like, how do you, how would you feel? You know, it's, it's not my place to invite someone to serve a yeah. mission, but I think that sometimes ha opening that line of discussion and just seeing where it goes. And this is true about so many things, not just the mission, but I think a lot of times like it's valuable with people you trust and in the right spaces to open a dialogue and just see if that's something they want to talk about. Cause maybe they are thinking about it and they're nervous and you could reassure them, you know, and you don't know. Yeah. And so it's difficult to know when it's my, when it's my place to say something, but I don't think, you know, if you trust that person, they trust you and you're in the right space. I think it's, there are cases where it is the wrong move, but in most cases it's okay to like open a line of discussion, kind of just open a door and see if that's something they even want to think about or talk about, you know? Yeah. And then from there, you know, you can kind of go with it, but I don't know. No, it's definitely, a, it's definitely a tricky topic, I think, yeah. for sure. Um, something that I hope to do, so my mom, I don't know if you remember, but I wrote my weekly emails every single week, yeah, yeah. like like clockwork. Like yeah. It was something I had to do. Yeah, oh, I remember. Um, and the main motivation was that is I knew my mom wanted to make a scrapbook for me with like all of my emails, the pictures that I sent, and kind of give it back to me as a gift. Yeah. Um, and also... I wanted to make sure that she had stuff to read because, like, it's hard being away from your 18-year-old right. son that's in a random country, like, <laughs> talking to a bunch of yeah. random people every single day. <laughs> um, and, you know, I have that book now, and my hope is that that book is just out right. for my kids to read, like, whenever. And they can know what my mission was like and yeah. what it meant to me um, and just be able to have that, like you mentioned, like, open communication about an event that's so pivotal in so yeah. many people's lives. Yeah. Like it's two years is a long time. Yeah. I've been home for a long time. I've been yeah. home for two years. Right. right. <laughs> it true. takes a long time for that time to pass. <laughs> this is true. Um, anyway, for those, cause I also, like you mentioned before, I didn't know what a mission was. I didn't right. know what I was signing up for. And right. I think that's something that we collectively as a community in, you know, the church and also the leadership as well can improve on is just overall education as to what is a mission yeah. what are you signing up for yeah what kind of does that entail um the same with service missions you know just yeah. so people know what the best route is for them and they can make an educated decision 
um, for maybe those listening that aren't members or haven't served missions. And it's difficult because there's a lot that we do. What would you kind of summarize a mission as? Like what kind of day-to-day things are we expected to do, would you say, as missionaries? Yeah, that is a good and very complex (laughs) question. And when I, I mean, I didn't even know on my last day of the mission, you know, like really what we do. Yeah, it's true. Um, But the missionary purpose is to invite others to come unto Christ and to receive his gospel. And so, you know, we believe that the church is the way that people can come unto Christ and receive his gospel. That's through covenants and ordinances. And so essentially, to sum it up, what I tell my friends that are not members is just strengthen the church is basically what we did. And so that means takes a lot of forms, like people that are already members, meeting with them, um, whether they are currently coming to church or they haven't been to church in a while, whether that's planning activities, whether that's, you know, meeting with new people and educating them. Um, you know, a big part of that is helping people move along the covenant path. And so that means helping people come towards baptism um, and getting sealed and married in the temple. And so it was one thing I loved about the mission was it's you're there's so many different ways you can do things i mean when me and you were companions we were mainly like on facebook talking to new people right. and meeting on video calls or, or phone calls with people um and trying to just share the gospel with them what we believe and you know i don't think there's any one right way to do it but ultimately the the spirit if the spirit can get into someone's heart then we've done our job right and if if someone can hear the message that we're sharing then we've done our job our job is right not to control people's agency, but you know, kind of just yeah. bring the message to the door. And yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I miss the mission <laughs> a lot. You know, it's like such a good time, but we did a lot of different things to help just the church generally, I would say. Yeah. No, for sure. And like I totally agree. Like I think <clears throat> everything that you do, it's cool because you have that kind of singular purpose for two years or eighteen months. Right. Um but yeah, I, that, I think you summed it up pretty well. Like everything you do is driven by that purpose, which is to bring others, invite them to come unto Christ um, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and, you know, that entails like studies, that mm-hmm. entails, I mean, you have to eat. Right. You have to, you know, we did walk outside, we did knock doors. Right. We also did use like, like technology to find right. people. Um, you know, you have councils and you meet with other missionaries and talk about how you can improve and um but everything is kind of that one purpose which is to help others come into christ um so yeah that's awesome what would you say is like i mean this is obviously a very hard question but like one of the biggest takeaways from your mission personally Hmm. that is a very good question (laughs) You're killing it with these questions. Bro. I appreciate these are it. Good. These are good. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've thought a lot about that, especially when I ended my service and came home and just was thinking about, like, what, what's changed? What have I learned? Um, I think one of the main ones um, was just when I'm helping other people, I'm always the one that's really helped more. When I serve others... I'm always blessed more than I feel like what I gave. And that was just such a great lesson for me to learn and one that I should apply more. But I, and I try to think about that, right? Like when, you know, like if a friend needs my help and I go and help them, I always leave that experience feeling uplifted, always. I, have, I never leave thinking, dang, I can't believe I just spent my time. You know, like, yeah. like I always feel more uplifted. And so I think 
when you have that perspective, it's like, how else can I serve? How else can I help out? What else can I do for people? Um, and it's kind of getting outside of yourself and just like expanding and doing hard things, but trusting the Lord. And that was a big one for me, just being able to serve people and feel joy and service and like really lose myself and just, I don't know. Yeah. Just feel like I was blessed more than I could ever give away. And that's the interesting thing that I like, and I've tried to tell all my friends that said, Oh, you're going to be two years behind. Right. Or like, you're going to be like, why would you do all this? And it's like for free, right? Like we weren't earning yeah. money. We were paying for it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. They, yeah. It's, they were earning money off us. Um, and it was just cool to see like everything on paper might've seemed like I was just going to have to like grit my teeth and just kind of suck it up and just do it, you know, and like not enjoy it. But it was just the best time ever. And it's changed my perspective on the way I see my personal relationships. Like, I don't think you can get that close to someone, you know, if you haven't gone through stuff with them, like you need to go through hard things and you need to be out of your comfort zone and you need to be humble. And that comes through, you know, like challenges and doing things you're not comfortable with. And the mission is just, it's all that, you know, like you remember all the times, like we were just very uncomfortable. (laughs) And I do. (laughs) I remember, I remember Ezra, he comes to (laughs) the mission. I pick him up and he looks at me and he says, Elder Seneca, I've been praying for a companion that will speak Spanish with me all day, every day. And I'm thinking, you know, perfect. Like, I need to work on my Spanish, too. Like, <laughs> this would be great. Yeah. Um, and then we drove from the mission office, like, two hours to our area <laughs> and held a conversation in Spanish the entire time. That was and a miracle, I think, for me. really was a miracle for both of us, <laughs> in retrospect. Um, there definitely were, especially that first, you know, six-week transfer where I was yeah. like, I hate this kid's guts. I don't, <laughs> I don't like this kid yes. when he's speaking in Spanish. It's not fun. <laughs> um, but, you know, when our two transfers passed, it was like a bummer. It yeah, was like yeah, we yeah. went through a lot together. And, yeah. like, both with the Spanish thing and, like, the people that we were teaching and, like, the ups and downs. And right. um, I just think there's no way to get closer to anyone, but especially – jesus christ through missionary service because you have to rely on him to be able to to make it through it's like it's amazing and i'm so grateful for the mission but it also was so incredibly hard yeah i mean it's changed the way i look at doing tough you know like say you have you know right now i'm in a semester-long project with a group of people and it's kind of changed the way i look at because the mission you just get put with someone and it's uncomfortable and it's hard and they're annoying. And then you leave them and you miss them. Yeah. And as you're missing them, you're annoyed at the next person. Yep. <laughs> right? And that cycle continues. And I had like, I, do you know how many companions? I had like 10 or 12 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think I had 11. So yeah. Like, probably around there. A lot of companions. And this, so this happens like 10, 12 times. And you don't learn on the first one and you don't learn on the second <laughs> one. And even on the last one, you don't really learn. You're still annoyed even by your last companion. And so it's kind of just like a cool reminder, like God teaching you over and over, like, Hey, this, you know, like this is how you really grow strong connections with people is by going, you know, you have to go through those growing pains. And so now when I start things with people, I try and then, you know, it's, it's not easy by any means, right. but like try to understand like the uncomfortable growing 
that's the part you're going to miss. You know, you're going to miss being with that person and growing comfortable with them. And we have that capacity. And I don't know. It's just interesting how, yeah, even now, like when I'm put in a group with someone, sometimes my first thought is, you know, like, oh, here we go. You know, as opposed <laughs> to like, wow, an opportunity. You know, yeah. like it's just hard to see it that way. But the mission helped a lot with that perspective, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and you've been back over a year now, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. Crazy. What, uh, what advice would you give or what has worked for you upon returning home to like maintain those like gospel habits and continue to progress even after a mission? That's a really good question. I don't feel like I'm the best qualified (laughs) to answer this, but I think, well, right when I got home, the first thing that helped me, and this is what I tell every new missionary that's recently got home is something that you shared with me when I got home. Really? And you were like, I don't know if you remember this, but to me it was like so profound. I was like three days home. I was like still wearing a white shirt and tie. When I, called I remember you for that. Sure. That crazy. <laughs> for sure. Um, and you were like, bro, no one is on your level right now. Like, just do you. <laughs> like, just do what you think is right. Like, nobody's on your level. And I was like, no, that's true, bro. Like, I just... And, and that's what I tell to every new missionary. Like, even just meeting with new people that have come home recently is like, just do what you think is right. Like, nobody is experiencing life the way you are right now. And so, like, just do, take that good momentum with you, you know? And I've heard before, like, when you come home from a mission, like, you're a little bit weird. And so, like, hang on to that weirdness as long as you can. Um, I think for me now that it means um, habits of discipleship. And so, to me, that is, like, setting hard rules. Like, I will never go to sleep at night without saying a prayer on my knees, right? Or, like, I will never get out of bed without saying a prayer on my knees. You know, I will never miss church. Like, simple things like that. And it's not easy. Scripture study is hard. It's hard to cut out time. And there's those days where it's the end of the day. One thing is it's really, it's a lot easier for me to be consistent with my, just like get my life planning and get things done during the day if I get up early. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for me to get up early if I go to bed really late. That's kind of how that works sometimes. Um, (laughs) But yeah, if I can get up early, like I can usually get good momentum going in the day. So it's easiest for me to study in the morning, but everyone kind of has their own way. And I don't know. I go to the temple every week. Like I really try to do that. I've grown a new love for the temple. I don't know. I mean, what works for you? It's a good question. Um, I'm not used to being asked questions on my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I will do the question. (laughs) It's my podcast. (laughs) I will not be answering that. Um, I definitely agree. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to my roommate about this the other day. And the desire I had to read the scriptures on the mission was crazy. Half of the reason is because the alternative was walking the streets in 100 degree weather <laughs> with people that didn't want to listen to me. <laughs> and I was That's eating true. up the scriptures. Like, yeah. this is awesome. I get to sit in this AC and just read the scriptures and... You know, life, it's a lot busier after the mission. I mean, we were running around from dawn to dusk yeah, yeah. in the mission. Yeah. But it's that one purpose like we were talking about earlier. And now there's a lot of purposes, and we have a lot more freedom to create what lives we want for ourselves right now, I feel like. You know, job, profession, marriage, you know, where do you want to spend your time? If I wanted to, I could be sitting in my apartment playing Fortnite the entire day from morning to night and you know i have to choose for myself what is most important um and that perspective has kind of helped me you know what is most important to my life in my life um and 
you know, my hope is that my actions represent that over everything it is being like a child of God, a child of the covenant, and a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, so I try to make sure that I'm doing things daily and weekly, like you said, kind of those hobbies or not hobbies, habits um, that you have um, to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk and like show God that that really is my biggest desire over everything. So I try to read the scriptures every single day. Like you said, like I'm not perfect. I've made an effort to go to the temple every single week. I've actually started working in the temple, which has been really awesome. That's so good. Um, and really just finding opportunities to, you know, show God that that is my biggest desire is to like be a disciple of Christ. Yeah. Um, so since you've been back, you've been going to school here at BYU, you've been working. True. Um, I remember when we were together way back when in Puerto Rico, you were a little bit worried about attending BYU. Yeah. Do you remember this conversation? No, actually, I'm interested to hear this because I don't remember this. Well, you just weren't very amped about attending BYU. You were like, I don't know if I can find my people. Like, you're kind of cool there, Seneca. Like, we could get down, like, out in in Provo. But, like, no way. I feel like people are kind of different out there. And, like, I grew up in Boston. I'm trying to hang out with my friends from high school. And, obviously, this is you, like, two weeks into the mission. Like, you were in Boston a month ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. So, I don't know, maybe maybe you don't remember this, but do you remember there being or being a little bit apprehensive to attending BYU at some point? Yeah, this is great. This is big. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm glad you Yeah, I don't remember that conversation. Really? I remember definitely feeling that way. Um I don't I don't remember that conversation. I remember <laughs> there's no way I was like you kind of cool, bro. You kind of No, cool. you did, bro. <laughs> I swear I'm not trying to just hype myself up. <laughs> No, bro. No, no. It was, yeah, there was a lot of thoughts. For me, like, high school, it was all about, like, what colleges can I go to? And, like, I kind of maybe equated, like, what school I went with with, like, my career. You know, that happens in competitive high schools. I think that's an East Coast thing. I mean, maybe it's, you know, across the nation. I feel like where I grew up, there's a lot of pressure in judgment on where you attend college. Like, oh, "Oh, you're going to community college? Like, what went wrong? Oh, yeah. When, like, in reality, that's normally the best place you could be going financially, yeah. especially with how expensive schools are right. everywhere else outside of BYU. Right, or, like, assuming your parents can't just pay for it. Yeah. Like you cannot, yeah. Yeah, I definitely remember that pressure, 100%, agree. Um, and so feeling like it was very important to me to, like, do well and, like, end up at a good school. And that was kind of, like, you know, like, most likely to succeed type of, like, energy. Yeah. And... Ultimately, what it came down to was like the finances of it, kind of like to your point. I did not apply to any community colleges, and there, and that's the only thing in Massachusetts that would be comparable to Penn yeah. to BYU as a community college. And I remember like getting into like some of my you know schools that I really would have loved to go into. Like my friends were there, and just like it's tens of thousands of dollars a semester, and I'm just like, I felt like the choice was made for me to go to BYU. Yeah, because I had all these price tags that like. You know, my dad would have to sell the house, you know, to get me an undergraduate degree and feeling like, okay, well, I'm kind of forced to go to BYU. And so I was bitter about that for sure. Yeah. I thought like, why? Like, I don't, I didn't, frankly, I didn't really like Utah. I'd never been here. I had heard so much about church culture. I was worried about finding my circle. Like I didn't know anybody, all this stuff. And so the mission helped me. It's funny you say that because that was like right at the beginning of my mission. Mm-hmm. If we had had that same conversation at the end of my mission, it would have been very, very different. 
And part of that was meeting good people like you that I realized, oh, <laughs> like there's cool people that are going to be at BYU and people from all over are at BYU. And also realizing like I'm more happy and comfortable where I can live my standards with people that live my standards. And so that's what really it comes down to. There's a lot of things I don't like about BYU, um, but it's just a whole different, it's like a whole different league from going to like UMass or Boston University where it would be so hard. The current is so strong. Like the worldly current is so strong. It would be impossible for me to just, you know, thrive in the same way I can here. And so that's kind of my mission changed that for me a lot, but that's definitely a process I went through and my mission helped me a lot. And I think that was another good thing about my mission. Like I didn't go straight from high school to BYU because that would have been very hard for me to accept. And so that was kind of a nice transition, but it's funny you bring that up. Bro. I, did not, <laughs> I genuinely did not remember. That's funny. Um, about that. I am curious kind of, you know, what do you feel like BYU provides like to you personally, like what, how does it cater to you? And like, what do you feel like are areas that we can kind of improve on in general? Yeah, that, that is, wow. That's a, a layered question for sure. <laughs> um, but it's very good. Yeah. I think when I think about what BYU provides to me, uh, the first thing is just opportunity to be surrounded by disciples of Jesus Christ. And I love that. That is my favorite thing. The fact that I can testify and, hear testimonies and just feel the spirit and be surrounded with people that, that have the spirit with them. I, in high school, I knew lots of people that had the spirit with them and lots of people that didn't members and non-members like the light of Christ. And, um, I like myself more when I'm with people that I feel the spirit with. And there's lots of people here in Utah at BYU on campus, you know, just in Provo that maybe don't, you know, aren't as devout or, you know, I don't feel the spirit when I'm with them and, mm -hmm. you know, everybody has their own lives. Um, but me personally, that's what BYU does for me is I can surround myself with, with those people. I mean, I think about my career, like BYU has the opportunity to put me in a good spot financially. That is one thing it also does for me. It's a good chance for me to be independent. Like I live away, you know, I have my car, I have my house. I kind of run my own life. Yeah. I could play Fortnite all day, you know, <laughs> to your point. Like I really have that independence and that's good for me. Um, and just really be surrounded by good friends that, I, you know, I feel like I feel the spirit with them is probably the main thing when it comes to like, what can BYU do better? There's a lot, you know, that I could say, and I mean, BYU is great and, and we love BYU. I think the, the main thing I miss from Boston is being surrounded with diversity that yeah. just hurts me, like being on campus and it's just all members. And so it's, it's two sides of the same coin. Like I love being surrounded by disciples of Jesus Christ and people that practice the faith that I practice, that's awesome. And I feel very like it's easy for me to fit in, you know, Yeah. but I miss <clears throat> just knowing people from all different races, all different ethnicities, all different faiths, you know, and, and just being able to, I don't know, like it was nice to just get to hear about that. Yeah. And I feel like that, that is, it's harder, you know, it's like, un I wouldn't say uncomfortable. It's maybe like, yeah, like that's one thing I miss for sure about home. Um, but part of it as well is knowing that there are some people that they never have experienced that diversity. And I think there's so much value in life in knowing people that aren't like you. And there's so much fulfillment that comes from kind of realizing like no matter where we are on earth, like we're all one. We're all sons and daughters of God. It doesn't matter what you look like or what you believe or what you do. Like we're all 
good people. We're all sons and daughters. And so that's one thing that I wish there was more of on campus that I could feel that more and more is just like experiences being close, close with people. Um, that's a big thing that I, I wish. And then there's, I don't know, there's a lot always to work on in terms of like accepting people and being allies with people. Um, if you haven't met, like, I think proximity is so important to like loving other people. And like, yeah, I remember for me that, that meant like understanding, I don't know. I remember like in high school, hearing all these things about politics and like specifically immigration and then realizing that some of my friends would be affected by changes in policies and their parents would would be affected by those policies and suddenly it wasn't just like something I saw on the news it was like a face on that policy and thinking like this person will be affected and this person might not be a part of my life anymore if they change this and and what will happen to their future and so I think proximity is very key and that's one thing I, I don't know I I wish was different and like I look forward to the future at BYU um, of just people being more aware and being more close to just different people and cultures I think that's very to me that's very important yeah no I completely agree and like I mentioned this um, on the podcast that's coming out this week actually with Michael and Steele she's my first cousin once removed my dad's cousin um, and she is a uh, 50% Native American she's a professor at the law school um, she was on the um, Committee of Equity when, um, shortly after the George, the killing of George Floyd, um, they kind of talked about kind of some of the issues on campus of racism and things along that nature. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, and she, she had a term, I can't remember the name of it. It's like cross-cultural competency or something of that nature or something like that. that sounds right. But just like the ability to interact with people from different backgrounds different you know whether that be religious or you know where they're from or you know whatever it is yeah their their background that you're just able to you know interact with them in a way that's respectful and like understanding and like wanting to learn from them um so i think that's a really good point and something that i definitely miss um being out here in provo as well yeah and i guess i don't expect you to have the answer um but kind of just think through you know what what can we do to kind of have that proximity i had um someone on the podcast yesterday gabe um and he worked he just um stopped working at the multicultural office on campus um and a recommendation that recommendation that he had was just for people of the BYU community to go into the office of belonging and just like meet with people talk to people and just kind of have that proximity um but I just wonder if there's, you know, other opportunities maybe outside of BYU itself, just kind of in the Utah Valley area where we can, you know, expose ourselves and just be around people of other backgrounds more. Yeah, that's a good question. When it comes to specific resources, I think, yeah, the Office of Belonging is great. Um, yeah, I can't speak too, too much to, like, the specific resources outside of, like, just educating ourselves um, just finding out. I think it's, like, important to believe, like, kind of question what you already know and, like, everything, especially when it comes to politics, is, like, there's two sides to every story, no matter what you've heard before. Like, there's always a second side to it. Yeah. And just because you happen to be in the situation that believes one thing, you know, I was born into the church, that doesn't mean that 
there's not other opinions on other issues. You know, like there's all kinds of issues and all kinds of perspectives. Um, to me, it comes down to like just, yeah, like loving people, being open to them, like being humble, I think is a big part of it. When someone's different than you, like, I don't know, just take a second, like think about, like trying to have empathy and it's difficult, right? Like there's layers and it's like hard to know how to do that well. But, and that's something BYU is working on. And frankly, BYU is very far behind yeah. a lot of other schools. Um, and there's different reasons why that is, but yeah, I think just trying to have an open mind, educate yourself and like, just, just be thinking about that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, and kind of along the same line, uh, I wanted to make sure we talked about on this episode was you at the beginning of the semester started working at the multicultural office, correct? Yeah. Um, what, what does that entail? Like what does your job entail? What do you kind of do day to day? Yeah, this is a great question. So I work um, basically, right, like there's the BYU, which is the university, and then within the university, there's all the colleges. Okay. So I work with my college. I'm an economics major, which is in the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences. So each college has their own committee for belonging and diversity. Gotcha. And so I work specifically with my college. um, and so the Office of Belonging is kind of like that umbrella that covers all of them. And then we work, I work on a subcommittee that's just within the one college. And so kind of what that looks like specifically is there's one committee and there's five different subcommittees um, that are kind of targeted to specific marginalized groups. And so there's race and ethnicity, mental health and disability, first generation college student, LGBTQ+, and then allyship. And so I work with the allyship subcommittee. Um, allyship's a little bit different because each of the other groups, like as you can tell obviously by like their names, refer to a specific group, people that can identify as part of that community. Mm-hmm. Allyship is just being a person that isn't part of a group or doesn't identify as part of a group but wants to support and just be there and help out with the cause. And so in my case, I'm not, I don't identify as a part of some of those groups, right? And so... Like I'm not, for example, I'm not a first generation college student. I don't know what it's like because my parents both graduated from college and I can text them with questions yeah. and they ask me how it's going. And they say, oh, I remember. My bad. You're chilling, bro. <laughs> that scared me. <laughs> yeah, and it caught me off guard. Um, and they, they tell, you know, like my parents can tell me their experiences about college. And so, but I want to be an ally for those people. 10% of BYU are first generation college students. Really? which I wouldn't know, you, right? Yeah. You wouldn't know. That means you walk by 10 people, one of them on average. Their parents did not graduate from college. And it's not easy, right? Like I was thinking about it this semester, like they don't teach you what to register for. Yeah. They just open registration and you just register. And if you want, you can reach out to someone and set up an appointment. Um, but like it's, you know, it's not easy. Or I imagine like I'm a member of the church, but how hard would it be to not be a member of BYU? Yeah. Like as hard as it was for me to be a member in Boston, it would be a million times harder to not be a member here. You yeah. know what I mean? Where they pray every class and it's just assumed. And so that's kind of what we do. So in my subcommittee, it's all about how can we increase allyship? How can we increase awareness? For me, like I'm a white, straight, cisgender male. Like I could go my whole four years at BYU and never once think about this. And like that kind of is the problem, right? Like let's try and spread the empathy a little bit more and help people kind of just think about it. And so BYU is great, but that's one thing that we work to like, we want more allies, right? Like we want more people. And so literally what it means, like what I do day to day is I run a team of volunteers 
Um, typically, the subcommittees have like between three and six or seven volunteers. Yeah. And we plan activities and initiatives. Uh, and so for this past semester, the main thing we did, this is a plug as well, if any of the listeners are yes. a student <laughs> in the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences, I have two things. One, if you're artistic, there's an art competition. And the cash prize is $1,000, bro. Can you believe that? <laughs> Tell me that, bro. That's Reach cool. over and <laughs> tell me. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you are artistic, look at that. $1,000, that is significant. Yeah. Um, and so we manage the art competition that's annual. It's going to be like our fourth year doing it. And the theme is always something Zion-related. And so they're coming out with the theme, announcing it. And then this winter semester, February through, through April, we'll be accepting submissions. So that's a good way to get involved and just kind of spread awareness and think about it. And then this next semester, we're looking forward to as well. We run panels and discussions kind of about like just to help people think about like, what does it mean to be an ally? Like, what would it be like to not be me? What would it be like to be different? And then how can I help those people? And to me, that's that ties into like my just discipleship and like my covenant to like cry with, you know, mourn with those that mourn and help other people. Um, And then the other plug as well is if you're a student at FHSS and you are interested in getting involved, like reach out to me or reach out to the college to this the committee for belonging and diversity and volunteer in some way shape or form um and so for most of the volunteers it's like an hour a week commitment where you basically are helping to plan activities and like your opinion will matter and you you know it it helps make the college a better place and so if that's something that stands out to you and you're interested in making change and being an ally and just helping be there for people you're looking for volunteering any of the above, like reach out, you know, we'd love to be able to connect with you. And whether that's with allyship, a different subcommittee, or even a different college, like there's ways to get involved. And if this is something you've thought about, like just check it out and see, maybe it doesn't work out for you, but you know, it's been, it's been such a blessing to me to be able to think about this and get to know different people and meet non-members on campus and meet people that are different than me here. And it's added such a light and a, and a value to my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll make sure if you can just send me whatever information you want me to put in the bio, just so whoever, you know, is listening or watching, you can, you know, access that information or reach out to Ezra and be able to get whatever you need to, you know, make that change. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. Well, we are already past the time limit as everyone heard it go off abruptly. (laughs) Um, the time always flies, but, um, Something I like to do at the end of each episode, I give the person being interviewed an opportunity to just share whatever. You know, that can be along the lines of things that we've already talked about, something that you came wanting to talk about today, or just whatever comes to mind. So sure. just kind of pass the time over to finish. <laughs> Start grilling you. Yeah. Um, what was your childhood like, Brad? Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I would say, yeah, I'm super grateful for the opportunity to be here. This is like a good time. Um, yeah, it's kind of like humbling to, you know, just to like that you'd reach out and think of me. And of course, um, I would definitely like to say, yeah, thank you. I don't think you know how important you have been in my life, genuinely, <laughs> not to get all sappy on the camera, uh-huh. but it was so crucial for me and my mission to have you as my first companion. It set the tone right. And, my, you know, consider like my mission is my most important chapter and like you set the tone for that chapter in such a good way you're someone i look up to so much and so it's been yeah it's good to have people you can count on and like 
Anybody who knows Wilson knows this dude is honest. He will not lie to you. If the joke is not funny, he's not laughing. You know, like it's, that's true. just what it is. And so it's been so good to have you around. And like, you know, like I said back in the day, bro, you kind of cool. We should keep it in Provo. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been, yeah, this has been fun. And it's been so good to just have you as an example and as a friend and someone I, I look up to a lot and that I hope continues to be in my life even when we're not both in Provo. Yeah, yeah, for sure. sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and thanks again for making on the podcast, making the time. Um, and good luck with, you know, your job and finals and, you know, whatever else is to come in your life. Yeah.